0: Hey everyone, welcome to the Bitcoin Fortress podcast, helping you increase your financial freedom. This is episode 30, recorded here on August 28th, 2022. This podcast is for entertainment only, and it's not investing advice. So as always, please do your own homework. Well, we'll get right into it with the market update, ugly week. Uh, with the federal reserve chairman's speech so uh, stocks plunged friday as federal reserve chairman jerome powell gave a brief and blunt message that the fed plans to keep raising interest rates during his jackson hole speech powell said that the fed will continue raising interest rates and hold them at a higher level until it is confident inflation is under control he noted that reaching an estimate of the longer run neutral rate is not a place to pause or stop Restoring price stability will likely require maintaining a restrictive policy stance for some time. The historical record cautions strongly against prematurely loosening policy, he warned. Looking ahead, Powell said that the June FOMC projection suggests rates would rise to just below 4% through the end of 2023 and that historical accounts warned against loosening policy too soon. Powell's path of pain sparked a 1,000-point drop in the Dow Jones average, and the percentage losses were even steeper on the S&P 500 and NASDAQ composite. Earlier, data showed consumer spending edged up slightly in July, but inflation eased considerably, which gave investors hope that the Fed might see room to trim its aggressive rate hikes. The Treasury yield curve inversion increased as two-year rates which are more sensitive to imminent policy decisions rose alongside the dollar for the week the s p 500 fell four percent giving up all its gains for the month of august the dow jones lost 4.2 percent and the tech heavy nasdaq slid 4.4 percent so once again uh, our essentially planned economy at work and everybody watching what one guy says and there goes the stock market so if you don't think something's wrong with our system then i don't know what to tell you moving along to bitcoin news um this isn't exactly bitcoin news but it was on bitcoin.com and i thought it was uh, kind of an interesting take on the uh federal reserve news and the overall market so uh, this article here bitcoin.com Uh, Market strategist expects stock market to drop 50% from here, says there's, quote, going to be no middle class left. After the Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell explained that fixing the American economy and current price volatility will, quote, take some time, the central bank chief said, quote, some pain would be felt by the Fed's strict policy. After Powell's statements in Wyoming, Wall Street shuttered and at the closing bell on Friday, all three major benchmarks—S&P 500, Dow Jones, and Nasdaq Composite—were down more than three percent. Nasdaq was the biggest loser on Friday, shedding 3.94 percent as it printed the worst losses since mid-June. Uh, and then there's a tweet here from Ann Saunders, who's from uh, Charles Schwab. She said, "Market's more than a little spooked." With major indexes shedding more than 3%, tech took it on the chin with a 4.3% decline. Communication services and consumer discretionary not far behind. Month-to-date gains now being chipped away for broad indexes as only Russell 2000 and Russell 2000 growth are up. The S&P 500 dove by 3.37%, closing the day at 4,057.66 points, and the Dow Jones Industrial Average shed more than 1,000 points, or approximately 3.03%. The world's top two precious metals, gold and silver, lost between 1.13%, gold to 1.79% silver to start the weekend. Platinum slid by 2.38%, and palladium dipped 1.49%, lower against the U.S. dollar cryptocurrency markets did not deal with the fed chair's commentary well either as the crypto economy shed six percent on friday and fell by another four percent on saturday afternoon during saturday's late afternoon trading sessions the leading crypto asset bitcoin dropped below the twenty thousand dollar per unit zone for the first time since mid-july on august 19th bitcoin.com news reported on the crypto fear and greed index falling to a score of 33 after the CFGI rated rating moved uh, higher up until August 14th. The CFGI score today is even lower than the 33 recorded nine days ago, as the current CFGI score is a 28 or fear. Similarly, the CBOE volatility index VIX saw a 3.78 point rise following Powell's 10-minute speech. Nasdaq volatility has shown similar fluctuations as the VIX volatility gauge. Research shows cryptocurrency and Bitcoin markets have been more correlated with equity markets than ever before. And he, they posted a tweet here from Mo Hossein. The price of cryptocurrencies moved in sync with U.S. stocks, making the correlation between digital assets and two key indices, the S&P 500 and Nasdaq, the strongest since 2010. The close relationship has turned Bitcoin into a version of equities. Arcade Research highlighted the correlation back in May 2022, when researchers said Bitcoin's correlation with the S&P 500 also continues to grind upwards, currently sitting at 0.59, also close to an all-time high. Bitcoin is 71% lower than the all-time high printed on November 10, 2021, and Ethereum is down 69.6%. During the last three bear cycles, Bitcoin has dropped more than 80% from its all-time high and ETH has slid 90% lower against the US dollar. Market strategist expects to see a 50-60% to 60% haircut in equities markets. Making matters worse, a number of strategists, analysts, and investors believe global markets are only going to get worse. The chief strategist at Bubbatrading.com. Todd Bubba Horwitz told Kitco's David Lynn during a recent interview that stock markets could fall another 50%. From here, Horowitz attributed his forecast to the Fed hiking rates amid what many believe to be a recession. Horowitz further noted that the financial moves may be connected to the controversial Great Reset. The U.S. Central Bank is raising rates during a recession, Horowitz said to Lynn. It's never been done in history. There is a political agenda behind all this stuff that's going on, which is to try to create the Great Reset. Horwitz further stressed, Biden's administration is looking to get the Great Reset. There's going to be no middle class left. Horwitz also talked about Powell's commentary at the Jackson Hole Symposium in Wyoming. The market strategist said, Powell's remarks are those of an idiot, highlighting that last year's symposium of Powell stated that inflation was transitory. Jerome Powell is trying to get away from what's going to happen, which is going to be hyperinflation or what's applied. Wait until the price of oil starts skyrocketing again. What do you think is gonna happen to inflation then? We're going to have a food shortage this year. We're gonna have food riots in many countries, the strategist added. The BubbaTrading.com analyst concluded that equities are going to suffer, but there still may be some opportunistic value out there in commodity markets. Overall, I expect to see a 50 to 60% haircut in these equities markets, Horowitz said. If anybody looks at their own finances, they can certainly see that it's recessionary times and they're watching their spending. So very interesting take on the market and uh, also the, uh, the political uh, drivers Uh, And this is, you know, I hear a lot of this in a lot of the podcasts I listen to on um, Palisades Gold Radio. A lot of the gold bugs have similar uh, views. Uh, uh, But, you know, unfortunately, when everything's selling off, everything sells off. So the only thing that's uh, working, so to speak, is dollars, um, maybe bonds, uh, and, uh, um, you know, the BICs, Um, but everything else just seems to be getting dumped and uh, i think monday will be certainly uh, an interesting day to watch what happens when the markets open uh moving on here uh next one is from bitcoin.com bitcoin's hash rates skyrockets block intervals suggest a notable difficulty increases in the cards and by the way this is all good news even though the Price of Bitcoin in dollar terms uh, may have taken a hit lately. The Bitcoin network is uh, healthy. Bitcoin's hash rate climbs closer to June's all-time high. Notable difficulty jump expected. At the time Time of writing, Bitcoin's hash rate is running hot at 282.21 exahash per second, which is only 3.35% lower than the network's all-time high recorded on June eighth, 2022 at block height. 7, 3, 9, 9, 2, 8. The hash rate has increased a great deal, even though the price has dropped 9% against the US dollar in 14 days and the mining difficulty has increased twice since August 4th, 2022. The crypto community has noticed uh, the increased tempo as the block interval rate, the time measured in between every mine block, has increased. On Thursday, Blocksbridge Consulting tweeted about the block interval and said the company expected a large difficulty increase during the next shift. The average Bitcoin block interval between current height and last uh, diff epoch is about 9.18 minutes, Blocksbridge Consulting wrote on Thursday, expecting a notable difficulty jump in less than six days. Furthermore, current statistics indicate the block interval time has dropped even lower and is 9.9%. 9, 9, 0.04 minutes at the time of this writing. With the current data, the next retarget date is expected to happen on August 31st, 2022, with a possible increase of 10.3%, a 10% increase or more would make it a lot more difficult for miners to discover block rewards. Not all difficulty and hash rate statistics are the same, and because it's harder to measure in real time, estimates via btc.com's difficulty page indicate a 4.43% difficulty increase in four days. Whether it's 4% or 10%, both are considerably larger than the last two difficulty increases since August 4th. At current hash rate speeds, the likelihood of an increase is most definitely in the cards, Data shows that since yesterday, August 25th, Bitcoin hash rate has increased by 44% during the last 24 hours. The rise has increased the probability that the network's hash rate will see another all-time high in the near future. So again, very, very robust, very strong network. and uh let's see the last uh article is actually an uh editorial piece um i picked up here from CoinDesk. uh the author is george kaludis and again i'll I include links uh, to all these articles if you want to read them in the show notes uh this article is entitled bitcoin's true value is separation of money and state Inflationary forces are still out there and investors are thinking about how best to protect themselves. Is Bitcoin a way to do that? Uh, For the first week in a while, the non-crypto world was louder than the crypto world. Everyone is talking about how U.S. President Biden is paying off everyone's student loans through the public service loan forgiveness program. How Fed Chair Jerome Powell was skiing with all his friends in the Tetons at the Jackson Hole Economic Policy Forum symposium how a professional smart guy Zoltan Pozar is scaring the living daylights out of us again by writing the unfolding economic war between great powers is stochastic and not linear in a research note titled war and interest rates meanwhile no one is talking about if bitcoin is or isn't an inflation hedge thankfully unthankfully each of the things everyone is talking about is at least loosely tied to inflation in some way so I'll do it I'll write about if Bitcoin or is or isn't an inflation hedge, because everything is about inflation and everything is about Bitcoin, even things that aren't about Bitcoin. Stochastic means random, by the way. Is canceling student debt inflationary? First off, the U.S. government isn't paying off everyone's student loans. What the Biden administration announced was that people who who both hold federal government student loans and earn less than one hundred twenty-five thousand dollars a year. Will have either 10,000 or 20,000 of their student loan balance forgiven. There are nitty gritty details which you can get by listening to. uh, There's an NASFAA podcast, but this main question we want to answer is if this is inflationary or not. Here's an argument that it will be canceling student loan debt will put money in the pockets of Americans, and those Americans will use that money to buy more immediately. The immediate consumption bump will meaningfully contribute to. More inflation and by the way that's my belief here's an argument that it will not be canceling student loan debt will leave money in the pockets of americans and those americans will use that money to consume more gradually over the course of their lives the gradual consumption bump won't meaningfully contribute to more inflation i very much Like the argument that canceling student debt won't be immediately inflationary, yes, the coronavirus pandemic stimulus checks were, but there's an important psychological difference between handing someone a $3,200 check and handing them an official letter saying they owe $10,000 less on an outstanding loan. And again, I'm not sure I agree with that. Uh, I think it's probably going to be more on the inflationary side, but we'll see. Time will tell. Does student debt cancellation take pressure off Jerome Powell? No, probably not. Probably the opposite. While the White House introduced a program that isn't obviously inflationary on the surface, the Federal Reserve Chair is still digging deep for his Volcker, without going full Volcker, moment. When Powell faced central bankers, economists, and the American people Friday morning with his prepared remarks in Jackson, Wyoming, he said that history cautions against prematurely loosening policy which basically means we're going to stay the course because if we change course again, you're really not going to believe us anymore, (laughs) which is true. Powell and the Fed is also digging deep for credibility. Coindesk's Adam Levine, host of Markets Daily podcast, made one of the best arguments for that in last week's episode where he said, History suggests that the Fed's decision on interest rates will remain far below the necessary interest rate, which is required to deal with inflation. For much of the 1970s and 1980s, the last time we saw comparable price inflation, the rate that the Fed set was somewhere between 8% and 20%, many times higher than what the Fed is suggesting now. So while central banks and markets will play games with each other, it may be all for show to look serious about the problem when the proposed solution doesn't really have a chance to solve anything. What Adam Levine is using to make that assertion is the Taylor Rule, a rule of thumb used by central banks to set interest rates at a level that will effectively combat inflation. By his estimation, the Taylor Rule suggests that rates need to be over 9% to even begin to deal with the behavioral changes long-term rising inflation leads to. I tend to agree with Levine and don't think that the markets believe policymakers anymore. And you can add me to the the list. I, I agree with that as well. Paul is stuck between a rock and a hard place at least he's stuck between some really nice looking rocks in Jackson Hole (laughs) is war inflationary um Pozar makes it clear in the foreign and I'll actually include a link to his latest piece because it's a uh, a really good read if you're interested um and he's he's quite an interesting analyst over at Credit Suisse and a lot of people have been talking about his work lately so uh I will include that there in the in the show notes Pozar makes it clear in the aforementioned research note that he thinks so. I think the note is worth reading in full, but here's a summary in case you don't read it. Supply is outpacing demand uh, because we went from a world where cheap immigrant labor in the U.S., cheap goods from China, and cheap Russian gas propped up low inflation to a world where nativist immigration policies drove wage pressures in the U.S., China's zero COVID-19 policy hurt the flow of cheap goods, and a Russian war in Ukraine has led to skyrocketing gas prices in Europe, prop up high inflation. Here's a punctuating quote. Welcome to the war economy, where heads of state matter more than heads of central banks. Can Bitcoin save us? Okay, we didn't solve inflation last week, so now on to crypto's preeminent inflation hedge, Bitcoin. With inflationary forces still out there, investors are thinking about how best to protect themselves. Is Bitcoin a way to do that? I'm not sure. From a market perspective, no, not at all. In recent memory, Bitcoin has been correlated with stocks. Stocks aren't supposed to be inflation hedges. Less risky things like gold and commodities are. So Bitcoin's price following or leading stocks makes Bitcoin not really appear like an inflation hedge. There are two threads worth following here first maybe inflation isn't about the price of goods increasing it's about currency debasement some variation of this chart is pretty popular in bitcoin circles and it's actually a uh, chart that shows uh bitcoin growth rate versus uh, global m2 money supply growth and um, so, as Global M2, the amount of money in circulation changes year over year, it appears that Bitcoin's market value follows. In short, as economies introduce money into circulation, Bitcoin's price goes up because the additional money in circulation dilutes the rest of the existing money in circulation. So, this supports the idea that Bitcoin is a hedge against currency debasement, a fancy way to describe the dilution of money in circulation i'm not sure the data strongly supports this idea sure there's a visual relationship in the previous chart but the rolling 30-month correlation coefficient between usm2 and bitcoin's value moves from negative to slightly positive uh and and he includes a couple charts in here statistically this doesn't really tell you anything maybe the move is due to bitcoin maturing over time as it approaches its final resting place as an an inflation hedge i don't i know the u.s doesn't stand in for the entire world economy, but still. Second, and more concretely, if you believe that we're in a war economy where heads of state matter more than heads of central banks, Bitcoin is probably investable simply because it is separate from the heads of state. I'm not saying Bitcoin's price is immune to the acts of heads of state, but I'm saying that Bitcoin isn't issued by any country and that the broader network a doesn't need any particular country and b is resilient enough to buck china banning it so in the event that bitcoin doesn't behave as an in- inflation hedge there might be something to be said for it acting as a way to bet on the separation of money and state and i could not agree with that more all righty uh, moving on here um and we'll finish up with uh, my thoughts on protecting your most precious asset and that asset of course is time so bitcoiners often talk about shifting their time preference from high which is immediate gratification and impatience sort of a hallmark of the fiat world we live in to low uh, which is more deferred gratification and patience um, and a long-term view that's more in alignment with the bitcoin ethos With a lower time preference, there's naturally also a focus on the actions we take in the present and how those will benefit or hurt us in the future. There is therefore a greater sense of consequences of actions and also perhaps a greater appreciation for life's journey with a lower time preference. For the past couple of years, I've been spending a lot of time thinking about time and how It is perhaps our most precious asset, more valuable indeed than financial assets, real estate, Bitcoin, or anything else we possess. We are only given so many years here on Earth, and we do not know when that time will come to an end. How we use that time matters a lot, not only impacting our own happiness, but also how we can positively impact others, whether family, friends, or the larger community. I'm reminded of habit number two from Stephen Covey's seven habits of highly successful people. Begin with the end in mind. How do you want to be remembered when you're gone? What will your legacy be? I remember years ago I was not as focused on my time and I found myself on what I would call the hamster wheel of life, extremely busy, but not productive, tired, overweight, and unhealthy. As a result, No matter what I did at work or at home, I felt like I was going nowhere or even backwards. I think time management starts with focusing on priorities. What is most important to you? Once you do that, it's much easier to align your priorities with how you spend your time. In doing so, I found myself making a very conscious effort to manage my time better, both at work and at home. So for this week's post, I thought I'd share a little about what I've done and how it has helped me preserve my most precious asset. So talking about work time, uh, first of all, I keep a to-do list, but I only write down the most important things that need to get done. So there's rarely more than a handful of things on the list. Keeping a super detailed list can be overwhelming, and a shorter list helps you focus on the 20% of activities that account for 80% of the impact. This is the Pareto Principle, which I learned about actually very early in my career, but was unfortunately rather slow to adopt it in practice, uh, although I'm very aware of it now. Over the years, I've learned that people love meetings, and so I make a concerted effort to be in as few meetings as possible. Many times an email or a quick phone call will resolve an issue. I also have a rule that if it requires more than one or two emails to solve a problem, a phone call is necessary or a meeting you know, as a last resort. I'm always amazed at long email chains that resemble tennis matches. Also, sometimes too many people are invited to a meeting. So instead of having multiple people from my group, I just have one person attend. And depending on the issue, it may or may not be me. Being organized is critical. And that starts with personal workspace. I find that a clean desk is very helpful in keeping me focused. Paper clutter doesn't help with focused thinking in my view. Also making time each day to strategize and plan at least one week and sometimes as much as one month ahead has been very helpful for me to stay organized and productive. Having a great team to support me, of course, makes all that possible. But keeping a watchful eye on upcoming issues and priorities and avoiding crises has a tremendous payback in terms of team morale and productivity. Ironically, a small amount of time spent strategizing and planning saves a huge amount of time dealing with issues in a crisis mode. Former boss, who I admire a lot, always liked to say, measure twice, cut once. Finally, some of the most productive and important time is spent informally meeting with key members of my team at work in person. In addition, To the mentoring opportunities, the ability to gather important information and avoid surprises through informal communication is critical. I actually enjoy talking about not only the business, but the broader macro environment, how it might impact us both personally and professionally as part of these interactions. And I enjoy seeing how many different areas of knowledge can coalesce and provide insights that I might not otherwise have had. Home time. So for me, family is very important. And so I place a high priority on time spent with family, whether it's gathering at the dinner table or running errands, I enjoy the opportunity to catch up, especially since my kids are getting older now, and those opportunities seem to be fewer and further between as their lives become busier. Probably my favorite way to spend time is in in our annual family vacations. These trips, while sometimes a bit stressful getting there and back, are always ultimately enjoyable experiences, and most importantly, provide lasting memories for all of us. Vacations are also a great time to relax, rejuvenate, and gain perspective on all things both work and personal. Health is also a priority for me, so time spent walking or in the gym gets prioritized along with eating reasonably healthy food and watching my weight. Continuing education is another priority of mine, and this goes back to my days in public accounting where we had to take a minimum amount of classes each year to stay on top of the latest accounting rules. Now I set aside time to read books, mostly business books. Uh, I subscribe to a number of email newsletters, and I also listen to several finance and Bitcoin-related podcasts. There's an amazing amount of quality, free uh, educational content available today. The nice thing about walking or traveling is that it's a great time to catch up on podcasts, which can also be a very efficient use of downtime. It's also very important to find time to relax and refresh. So getting to bed at a reasonable time is important, not only for mental health, but also physical health. Studies have correlated proper sleep with weight management, for example. I stopped using an alarm clock the past couple of years, and this has been a tremendous benefit to me. I wake up at about the same time every day. And start my day with a lot less stress A very simple change makes a huge difference now on projects i enjoy having projects to work on at home but i try to limit the number of projects i undertake and i try to wrap up one or two before starting a new one having too many projects going on at once results in stress and also undermines focus and ultimately the quality of the outcome I find that getting after things proactively and with a sense of urgency both in my personal and work life helps accomplish more and leaves more time later for the unexpected or just reflection and relaxation. Sometimes if there are competing projects that are investment or side hustle type activities, you really need to look at the potential financial payoff to determine where to spend your time. Always look at it like a business and the return should be commensurate with the investment or the risk anything that requires a great deal of your time needs to provide a very good return or it may not be worthwhile doing. For example, you may be perfectly capable of managing your own rental property, but why not hire a good property manager to do it for you? For a relatively small amount of money each month, you could stop dealing with clogged toilets and focus on more profitable activities. There are many examples where getting some help can leverage your time across more projects. You could still control the quality of the outcome without having to do all the work. So while I enjoy having things to do, I no longer seek to be busy, but rather I want to be engaged in productive and meaningful work. Being busy is hamster wheel stuff and it just leaves you stressed out and holds you back from real achievement. Staying focused on priorities, being purposeful in your work, and respectful of your and other people's time, in my opinion, is the way. So once again, this is uh, not financial or legal advice. It's for entertainment only. And uh, I do hope you uh, find this useful. And um, thank you for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please like and leave a comment. Also, don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss an episode. You can also follow my substack at bitcoinfortress.substack.com and you can follow me on Twitter My handle is at Nick Reichert, and I will talk to you all next week. Bye-bye.